0: For more messages, log on to our website, www.sermonindex.com. Now, here's today's program James Chapter Four, verse eight, a verse most of us of course will know Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves therefore to God, and the word therefore takes you back in the context he gives more grace. Wherefore he saith God resist the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have discovered that people who are demonically afflicted or invaded find it impossible to yield, to respond to normal counseling techniques. They may come forward in meetings and be counseled with again and again, I was in Texas and a girl, they called her Sally the Surfer because her parents were very wealthy and she just spent, it seemed, the entire year going from one beach to another surfing. That's all she did. And she happened into our meetings, came forward once, made no progress at all, came forward twice. I believe she came forward three times altogether Then I talked with her personally and discovered she was involved in several areas of the occult. So we showed her what this meant as far as God was concerned, mainly using Deuteronomy 18. And she yielded to that, and we dealt with the occult problems, and immediately she was able to lay hold of a spirit-filled life. She was able to commit herself to God. But this we find is quite normal when people are demonically invaded, they find it almost impossible to respond to normal counseling techniques. And the problem they have has to be dealt with before they can respond in a proper way to the call for a total committal of their life to God. How do people get involved in the occult? Mainly, and I would say probably 95% of the people that are involved, they got that way by using some occult thing—Ouija board, or having their palm read, or going to a fortune teller, or um, oh, psychometry, psychography, Scientology, vitagenics—all these different things that people talk about and that are available today. They've been involved in one or more of these things. Ninety-five percent of the people we counsel with have been involved in this way. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we have eight areas of the occult listed. Today, I think I mentioned in the previous lecture, there are probably now at least 150. Not only this, there are new games uh, coming off, I was going to say, off the press, and some of them are. Week by week, some I don't even know what some of them are. A man up in Prince Albert has recently invented three occult games. I don't even know what they're called. All I know is they're on the market. So people come to me and say, You know what this is? I've never heard of it. It's about impossible, it seems, to keep abreast of it all. Because there's money in this area, and that's attracting some. All right, 95% become involved directly by exposing themselves to something of an occult nature. Think of the text in the the previous lecture. Neither give place to the devil, but that's what they have done. And he claims that territory in their life. And so they do not have and cannot have freedom in the Christian life until these areas are renounced and given up. We have had a few cases of people that were demonically invaded because of something else. Do you remember what Samuel said to King Saul? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. And shortly after that, we read that an evil spirit from God, permitted by God, troubled him. The Hebrew language says it terrified him. And then they called for David. And David played. And David sang. And Saul was refreshed and felt well. But it always returned because the problem was not dealt with. And you know how he ended his life? So Saul died because he did not keep the commandments of the Lord, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. But the strange thing is this, and it's not a contradiction, he did inquire of the Lord, but it says the Lord answered him not. But as far as God is concerned, he was not inquiring of the Lord because he was not dealing with his problems. And that reminds me of Hosea chapter 5 where God said, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find Him. He has withdrawn Himself from them. Now, why would God withdraw Himself from people that are seeking Him? The 15th verse of Hosea chapter 5 gives us the answer. Here's what He said. I will go and return to My place until they acknowledge their offense and seek My face. Now, they were seeking the face of God, but they were not acknowledging their sin. So as far as God is concerned, they were not seeking Him at all. You see, He that covers his sin shall not prosper. You may prosper in dollars and cents, but you'll never prosper spiritually. But whoso confesses and forsakes them, shall have mercy. I was in a crusade. And the man came for counseling. He said, I have strange things happening. He was a civil engineer. And he said, I feel fingers poking in my back. I whirl around and there's nobody there. Well, I checked him out with some people that knew him. And they said, there's nothing wrong with him. He's perfectly sane and rational. So I got a few men together. And we prayed with this man. I... I I tried to search his heart, get him to search his heart, and he, as far as we could tell, was not involved in anything of an occult nature. But what was happening, these manifestations were certainly occult. So we knelt around him, and we commanded the demons to stop harassing him in the name of Jesus Christ. And we took a faith stand against these powers. The next night I was preaching was in a large auditorium. There were many churches cooperating. And in the middle of my sermon, I saw him get up from the seat and start down the aisle. In the queerest serpent-like motion you ever saw. And the closer he got to the front, the lower down he was. Till when he got to the front pew, he was bent almost double. And I kept on preaching and watching him and he moved over here and suddenly it was like a giant hand hit him on the back and knocked him flat on his face on the carpet and he rolled over on his back and a voice cried out of him twice, a loud voice, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I believe it was the demon calling out through him because Jesus Christ was about to honor the faith of the brethren that prayed with him the day before. And the demon knew he had to go, and he did not want to go. Two men rushed down to him. They said his body was as rigid as if he was made out of steel or stone. They prayed a short prayer over him, and he was instantly released. In talking with him afterwards, he told me this, that for many years, He had wickedly and stubbornly resisted the known will of God in his life. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft to God. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. We might just as well worship an idol as be stubbornly persistent against the will of God. Then... Hypocrisy of long-standing, sometimes. Do you remember it says the Spirit expressly says, the Spirit states expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. Doctrines of demons. Vitagenics. I had a seminar in Saskatoon recently, and they teach in their textbooks, for I have one of them at home. And I went through five of them. They teach that eating meat is wrong. Everybody should be a vegetarian, but God says no. That's a doctrine of demons. But in that same context, it says about these demons, and if you notice it carefully, it's the demons the Holy Spirit's talking about. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Because of their hypocrisy. That's what it says in the context. So to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, and the scribes, Jesus Christ said, Oh, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Serpents, vipers, those are terms reserved for the devil and his servants, but they're used of men. What was the cardinal sin of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders, and the scribes? Read Matthew chapter 23, it was hypocrisy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! All their works they do for to be seen of men. Devouring widows' houses for a pretense, making long prayers. He said you'll receive the greater damnation. And hypocrisy that's conscious, that's planned and carried out over a long period of time may result in demonic invasion. Then here's something else. If people accept something, some teaching, some idea, something they know is wrong, and something that is particularly wicked, like Judas Iscariot. Ever notice this in uh, John chapter 13, first of all, verse 2, then verse 27? What happened? In verse 2 it says, Satan having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, to betray Christ. Satan put that evil, wicked thought into the heart of Judas. And instead of rejecting such a vile thought as this, he accepted it. And what happened? He opened the door for the devil himself. For in verse 27 it says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. First he accepted a thought. And that opened the door for the devil himself to enter in. Doctrines, teachings that come from demons. Do you remember how in James chapter 3 it says, If you have bitter ending and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Demonic. He says where there's envy and confusion, there's strife and every evil work. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's without hypocrisy, it's without partiality, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Hypocrisy and all the rest of it, but it's wisdom that comes from demons. There are people in many evangelical churches that are getting wisdom from demons and are guilty of splitting churches, creating all kinds of bad problems between people in churches. May God have mercy on such, because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, He that sows discord among brethren is an abomination to God. It's an abomination to God For you or I or anybody to sow discord among the people of the Lord. He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Only by pride comes contention. So when there's contention between two people or in a family or in a church, God says the root cause is pride. Only by pride comes contention. Now, pride is a devil's sin. Lest, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That also may open the door to demonic invasion. Now, remember I said that probably at least 95% is done in other ways. It's done by getting involved with, with occult witchcraft practices, but we have found some people that were invaded who were not involved in anything occult at all, so far as we could tell. It was other matters such as we have been outlining briefly here. All right. When a person is demonically invaded, they will normally have, not always, but normally they have occult Manifestations. For example, we counseled once with a girl. She was 16 years old. She'd only been a Christian three weeks. She was very deeply involved in the occult because her mother was an occultist, and her mother had taught her how to do just about everything there was. Now, she had no problems at all until she became a Christian, and from the night she became a believer in Christ, the manifestations began. She was afraid to tell anybody for fear they would think she was losing her mind and commit her to an institution. She talked to the guidance counselor in the high school, who was a Christian, who shared it with me. I was in the area in meetings. We arranged a meeting, and I talked with a girl. I said, what's happening? And she said, when I climb into bed at night, the bed begins to vibrate and shake like it was plugged into a vibrator or something. She says, I jump out of bed, it stops. And then she said, I see these evil faces floating through the air. They just keep coming into the room and going through the room. And naturally she was greatly frightened. And so we went to Deuteronomy 18, I think 1 Corinthians 10, 20 as well. I showed her what the Bible said, and she wanted to close in with this. And we dealt with it, and that ended these problems. I remember after I prayed with her, she said, Something rose up inside of me and flowed out of my body like a rushing river. And she was free. Now, it may take other forms. I was in a crusade in the States and there was a fellow named Jim Miller. Uh, He was very well known in the local area because he'd often debated with some of the black militant leaders on TV. Uh, He was a Christian Reformed pastor, actually. But he told us later on that he never knew what it meant to live the Christ life. He said, I was filled with legalism, and I thought that being a good Christian meant fighting people. And God taught him otherwise. Now, this was about seven, eight years ago. I had a letter from him not too long ago, and he said, Bill, I'm still walking in victory. Praise God. But here's what happened. He and his wife met the Lord, gave their testimony in a meeting. And about a day later, he phoned me up in the motel, and he says, Bill, what's going on? I said, I don't know what is going on. He said, when we got home from the meeting last night, and that was the night when they gave given their testimony, he said, we weren't home long before one of the ladies from our church phoned us and said, Pastor, you'll think this is crazy, but I called at your home about an hour ago. There was nobody home. I walked back to the car. Then she said, for some reason, I turned to look back at the front of your house, and I saw something shapeless black, moving back and forth in behind the window. Now she says, maybe I was hallucinating. I don't know, but I felt I should tell you. So they didn't think anything of it. They thought, well, it's kind of strange. but That same night, they had two daughters, and that same night, the parents were in their bedroom, and they heard this daughter scream. And they ran into the bedroom, and she was cowering in fright and hysteria on her bed. Her Bible lying beside her. And he told me, he said, we asked her what happened. And she said, I was lying here reading my Bible when a horrible black thing fell on me from above and almost suffocated me down in the bed. He said, Bill, what is this, witchcraft? I said, well, it sounds like it to me. Well, he said, I don't even believe in that. Well, I said, listen, hang up, talk to your daughter, and find out if she's been involved in the occult. He phoned me back in less than ten minutes and said, hey, my daughter's been into four areas of the occult. And then, after he hung up the second time, he thought to himself, he told me this a day or two later, I thought to myself, well now, if my oldest daughter is involved in this stuff, I wonder about my other daughter. So he talked to his other daughter, and she was involved in about double as many areas of the occult as the other daughter was. I told them how to deal with it, and they dealt with it, and there was never again, as far as I know, any further manifestation of this kind. Wrappings on the wall, things disappearing and appearing, and all this kind of thing, that sometimes go on. Not always, but sometimes. Alright, how do we deal with it? Where do we start? I start by giving the person a list of about 50 or 60 areas of the occult. Some have asked for this list and have uh, copied it, and that's fine. You can do that if you wish. Then I read that, or I have the person read it, and I tell them now, if you've done any of these things or anything not mentioned on the card, please tell me what it is. And I make a list. I may only get two things. One thing, I may get 15. I've had as many as 33 from one person. Then we go over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I'm going to turn there now and just read what it says, because we referred to that before and I haven't actually read it. Uh, Many of you, of course, have. And here's what it says. When you are come, that's verse 9, Deuteronomy 18, when you are come into the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, that's a very wide umbrella, or an observer of times, astrology, horoscopes, or an enchanter, or a witch, well, we would call that a medium, or a charmer. There are blood charmers, there are people that can heal Diseases in your body that can stop bleeding and all this kind of thing. They can make, make warts and wends and blemishes disappear. I've talked to people who've had many of these things done to them by occult healers. They didn't realize these people were occult because sometimes they use the names of the Trinity. They'll even sing Christian songs. The white magic people will, not the black magic people. All right? A charmer, a consulter with familiar spirits, a person who consults or tries to get information from these people, or a wizard, the word wizard basically means a knowing one, referring to a person who with the power in contact with these demon spirits will use that power in a bad way to hurt other people. A necromancer, that's a person who tries to talk to the dead. Now notice, all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God doth drive them out from before you. That is, the Canaanites, the seven nations in the land of Canaan, were expelled from the country because they were deeply involved in the occult. They'd done all of these things. It goes on to say, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you so to do. And then comes a beautiful prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not by accident. It occurs here. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses said, like me, him, him, Unto him you shall hearken or listen. And it comes up again then in verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So Jesus Christ, when He came, said, My doctrine is not mine, but His has sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak, exactly as we find here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So what God is saying is this, Never go to an occult source for information or for help. Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Jesus Christ is mentioned in the epistles altogether a thousand times. How often is the devil mentioned there? Fifty? We should set our affection, our heart on Jesus. We have much the same over in in Isaiah chapter 8, and I'd like to read a couple of verses there. We have the same thing in the context and beautiful prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ Then something about the occult in the same, in the same connection. Isaiah 8.13 Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Remember, Peter said sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Alright, maybe He got it from here. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin that is a trap, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now this is quoted in the New Testament and applied to Jesus Christ. Then we go down in the context, verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders, quoted in Hebrew, applied to Christ and His people. What's the next verse? And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards and people and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? One translation says, Should the living seek to the dead? The context says no. Seek to Christ. Get your information, your power, your strength, your healing from Christ. But on, on no account, seek for help from occult sources you'll have to pay a price. And sometimes the price is very, very high. Well, we begin with Deuteronomy 18. And I stay with that until the person agrees with God. They don't always. Do you know what the average person says to me when they come to talk about an occult problem? I used the Ouija board, ha-ha, but I didn't really believe in it. It was just a stupid game. Or... I read the horoscopes, but man, I don't believe the horoscopes. That's just a bunch of ink on paper. Almost everybody that comes for counseling begins in a way like this. What are they doing? Well, some of the other speakers talked about this. You know how it started in the Garden of Eden? Dick Sipley told us that. Passing the buck. Not willing to face up to their own sin. I counsel with a black girl down in the States in Michigan. And as soon as she read Deuteronomy 18, she just melted in a heap of tears and she said, Oh God, God forgive me that I've transgressed against you. What a beautiful picture. She just instantly repented. And others again say, Well, I don't think it's all that bad. And I stay with them if I possibly can until... They agree with God and look at it from God's viewpoint. And it, sometimes it takes a while. And I must say, f- frankly, I hit this as hard as I can. It's an abomination of God. What is an abomination? It's something that God wants to spit out of His mouth. And we saw the reason in the previous session, because we're guilty of having fellowship with demons. In one of our best-known Canadian Bible schools... And a girl from our church was there when it happened and told us all about it. Some of the girls heard about this needle-on-a-thread thing. You can program it to swing one way to give yes answers and the other way to give no, or this way for yes and this way for no. You program it, and then it works. It's commonly used to determine the sex of an unborn child. It'll be swung over the wrist or over the, the stomach of the person. Well, these girls heard about that, so they thought they'd try it out. And it worked. It began swinging just the way they programmed it. And they thought this was fantastic. Until God opened the eyes of one of those girls and she screamed that she had seen a demon manipulating the needle. And they all went into near hysterics. They called the staff in, explained what happened. They pled the blood of Christ over the place. They uh, cleansed it this way in faith. And everything quietened out. But that night in one of the boys' dorms, about 2 o'clock in the morning, there was no wind blowing at all, and every window in the building was rattling and shaking until the whole place woke up. They didn't know what was going on. They had to call for the staff. The staff had to come down to this boys' dorm and have a prayer meeting, and everything quietened down. It all started when some people innocently began fooling around with a needle on a thread. God says it's an abomination and when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you remember what he said there? He said, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Because when a Christian believer, in one of these ways, gives ground to the devil, you are provoking your God because you're starting to give your allegiance to the prince of darkness who hates God in Christ, and it provokes God Jealousy. Don't do it. Well, we begin then, Deuteronomy 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, maybe one or two other verses. We make the list. Then, after we've made the list, here's what I do I pray and I plead the blood of Christ over the protection of Jesus Christ, his name and his blood over the, however many might be in the room. Of I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to follow me in this prayer, but do try and make it your own prayer, from your heart. And a prayer goes something like this: "My dear heavenly Father," and I pause, and they will say this after me. I want you to forgive me because I've been involved in the occult and witchcraft." And they repeat that. "I see from the Bible it's wrong, I want to be forgiven." They don't always repeat it in those exact words. Sometimes they just, in their own words, they'll talk to God. And then I come to this part. I now renounce the devil and all his works. And sometimes they can't do it. I mean, sometimes they just stop right there. I've had people try six, eight, maybe ten times, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Bill Orr and I were with a couple one time. And every time we got to that point, the girl jumped to her feet, young married woman, and she ran to the wall just put her head in the wall like this. She couldn't do it. I forget, was it two times, twice or three times she ran to the wall and finally she had victory. Because we command the demons to loosen their hold. We, try, we break their power in the name of Christ. We address them directly. And I've never seen that fail to happen yet that all of a sudden the person can do it. I now renounce the devil in all his works. And sometimes when they're doing this, their voice just gets louder and louder and louder. And you know what they tell me afterwards? I felt this tremendous release inside my heart. I now renounce the devil in all his works. Including, and then I list all these areas they've given me, and they go through them just name by name by name by name. I was in Washington. A couple of years ago, and a girl came for counseling, 23 years old, a young married mother. And she said, I'm in such trouble mentally. She said, I think, she said, I've, I've been thinking of suicide. I said, what, what's going on? And so she told me, she said it was like hands would grab her brain and squeeze it. And she said, it's just the pressure is so terrible. She said, I just feel like screaming for an hour. So I asked if she's involved in the occult. She was. So we made a list, 22 areas of the occult. So we went to Deuteronomy. She instantly responded when she saw what the Word of God said. She repented with all her heart. And we went to prayer and we went down this list one after the other. You know what happened? When we got to the last thing on the list, she started to pray on her own like you wouldn't believe. I mean, she just took over. What a transformation we saw in that person. The liberty the freedom that came by the grace and the power of God. All right? This is what we do. But after they have renounced, normally, in I would say probably in 99 out of 100 cases, I even did it in that case. I suppose I always do it. Uh, I call the others to attention that are working with me. If there's one, two, three, four, half a dozen or whatever, and I say, now, brethren... Now we're going to command the demons to leave this person in the name of Jesus Christ. And the essential ingredient now is faith, to believe that God will do it. And so then we simply command the demons in the name of Jesus Christ to leave this person and to go to the pit. Now people ask me, why do you tell them to go to the pit? Well, I don't have any direct Bible reference to give you. But I have this. The demonics, the legion in the demoniac at Gadara, the legion said, don't send us into the deep. Which tells me that the normal practice of the Lord Jesus Christ was to send such demons into the pit, into the deep. And they begged for a dispensation which He granted them. And they were allowed to go into the swine. Sometimes demons have responded speaking audibly through the person, and they will say, I don't want to go there. That's a very bad place. So, but you have to go there in the name of Jesus Christ. Like in Acts chapter 16, Paul turned to that girl. He never asked her opinion. He never asked for her submission. She was not a believer. That's a totally different thing. He turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit came out in the same hour. Beautiful. The name of Jesus Christ. We had a very difficult case one time. We'd spent two nights, several hours each night. We'd go to prayer and the demons would come to the surface. The girl would be blinded, deafened, and couldn't talk or all sometimes she could talk, but it was mainly being blinded and deafened. And we were trying to get the victory here, and we were having difficulty. So we got more people together to pray the following night. And after a couple of hours, the girl was on the floor and her hands and knees, her hair streaming down on the floor. She was out of it like a light. And we weren't apparently making much progress. They would blaspheme through her. They told us what they thought about us. We commanded them to stop their blasphemy, and they did. But we couldn't expel them. Then God gave my assistant an insight. And he went over and stood there beside the girl and he said, Demon spirits, listen to the Word of God. And he read the story of the demonic at Gadara slowly and loudly to the demons. And when he got to that place where the demon said to Jesus Christ, Are you come here to torment us before the time? her whole body began to shake and tremble like that. And he looked and said, Aha! You don't like it. I'll read it again. So he read it again. And they were gone like that. We learned in that session to use the Word of God Matthew 25 or any place that talks about the final defeat of Satan, his doom with the fallen angels. And on different occasions, we've actually seen the person's body just shake like that. The demons believe and they tremble. They tremble. And we've seen it happen. All right. So, this normally is how we handle these situations. Sometimes we can't do this. We had one case, and this particular girl had been backslidden for four years, living immorally, and all this kind of thing. And then she'd been trying for eight or ten months to come back to God, and somehow she couldn't. And she told these ladies, was in a crusade. We were in a large church. After a meeting, a gal came running over and said, Can you come in and help us? We're counseling with a woman, and she says that God won't take her back. She's been backslidden too long. She said she's going to take her life. So I went into the room, and here they were. There was about six ladies kneeling here in a a tiny room, a carpeted floor. One of them was a missionary, a returned missionary. And uh, so I started talking to this girl, and she listened for a few moments, and she took a hold of her purse. And I saw she was going to get up and go. I said, please, could you give us ten minutes? We're going to ask the Lord what your problem is. Just be patient. And so she, she sort of relaxed and continued kneeling at the chair. And frankly, I didn't know what to do. So I prayed in my heart and I said, Lord, what do we do? What is the problem? And just as clear as anything could be, the impression came, this girl is demonized. Now, I didn't want to tell this group of people here that the girl had a demon problem because apart from the missionary lady, and perhaps not even she, none of these women had had any experience, I was sure, in the area of the occult. So I prayed in my heart again, and I said, Lord, if it's really a demon problem, would you give me some sign right now that it is? You know, sometimes people say you shouldn't put out a fleece because it only happened once in the Bible. No, it didn't. It happened just about 12 times altogether. Eliezer put out a fleece. Many others put out fleeces in the Bible. It's not something we should be doing all the time, and I very rarely do it. But there's times like this when there's no other, rec- you have rec- recourse to nothing else. And so I just said, Lord, give a sign. I hadn't finished that prayer two seconds. Now nobody knew I was praying except God. The missionary lady opened her Bible to Acts chapter 16 and read the story of the demonized girl. When she finished that short account, our eyes met, and she nodded her head up and down, and I nodded back to her, and I said, God has rather clearly indicated that this girl is demonized, and we're going to have to band our hearts, our faith together, and order these demons to leave. Now, in that case, I didn't have a list. Frankly speaking, I knew so little about it then. I didn't know how to go about it, and it worked anyway. God is so gracious. So, what we did, we went to prayer. We ignored the girl. She was kneeling here, looking around in a rather startled fashion. And then I said, demon spirits, we order you, we command you in the name of Jesus Christ to go to the pit, never to return. The girl gave a cry, and she seemed to be picked up off the floor and slammed on the floor again. She almost hit the wall over here. And she lay there for a few moments, crying. She got to her feet and began running around the room laughing and crying and fairly shouting, I'm free!" And she went tearing all over this big church trying to find people to tell them what Jesus had done. She came to me after and she said, so that was a Spirit? And I said, yes, that was a Spirit. Don't ever, ever get involved with the occult again. She said, I'll never forget, as long as I live, the fantastic power of God when He touched me and those powers left. That girl's in Christian work, full-time Christian work today, thank God. So what I'm saying, why I tell that story really is, you know, sometimes now I've got the program. Be careful, you may not have the program. We have to work with God and move as God is leading us and so on in cases where it's it's an invasion by a demon or by demons. Now then, what about the post-deliverance problem? What do you do afterwards? Well, There's a number of things that we need to do. One, Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, you're not to bring an abomination into your house lest you become accursed like it is. So we talk to the person and say, look, if you have any occult material in your home, Ouija board or books or anything of an occult nature, burn it. Now, missionaries in the foreign field tell us they do the same thing because they discovered that if one of the nationals has demon problems and they pray with him, And if he has one little thing in his home that he will not deal with, he won't get rid of it. He never gets victory until he does. We find the same thing here. And so we say, look, anything you have, destroy it. Don't give it away. Don't put it in the garbage. Burn it. Tear it up. Break it. Whatever. Get rid of it. I remember talking with a lady this way one time and she said, she said, I don't think this is my problem at all. She was trying to enter into a full Christian life. She was a believer, but just getting nowhere at all. I thought if she'd used a Ouija board, but she said, listen, it's 14 years since I used the Ouija board. I said, is the Ouija board in your house? She said, yes, what's that got to do with it? And she got up and walked out. Went home and told her husband, McLeod is trying to lay this thing on me that because we have a Ouija board in the home, that's why I can't get any victory in my Christian life. Her husband said, what did he say? So she told her husband, he took the Ouija board and he burnt it. And you know what happened in her life? It was only a matter of a couple of days until she entered into a beautiful walk with God. So, that's one thing we make sure in the post-ministry, like post-deliverance ministry, make sure they have nothing in their home. Then if you remember in Matthew chapter 12, a story Jesus Christ told, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and findeth not. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to go back to my house where I came out. And he comes back and he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. It's been all cleaned up. And there's new furniture in the house. But there's nobody living there. He goes, he takes seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they go in and enter into that man. They dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Now he's got eight demons instead of just one. What is Jesus Christ saying? Post-deliverance ministry, you'd better make sure you're filled with the Spirit of God. And sometimes people are not willing to do that. I counseled with a man, he was a science teacher, and and, uh, we dealt with the area of sin, and he really asked God to search his heart and put out all kinds of things that were there. And, And after he'd finished, I said, now, my brother, it's the cross. And he opened his eyes and said, what do you mean, the cross? And I said, well, you have to be crucified with Christ. He said, wait a minute, I didn't bank on that, he said. And he jumped to his feet and ran out of the room. And later on, he gave a beautiful, glowing public testimony. He told us what happened. He said, Brother McCloud said I had to be crucified. I didn't want to be crucified. I didn't want to die to myself. He said, I ran out of that room. I got in my car. I drove for home. And all the way home, the Lord sat in the seat next to me, kept telling me, Galatians 2.20, Romans 6.6, 6, three 3.3. And he said, I got out of the car, ran up into my bedroom. I slammed the door. And Jesus was waiting for me in the bedroom. And he kept telling me, the cross, the cross. He said, I knelt by my bed and I just broke, and I surrendered my life to the Lord. Now, some people don't want to do that. Even if God has gloriously delivered them, they still want to live selfishly. That's dangerous. If God has done something great for you, should we not respond? Hezekiah did not render according to the benefit that God had done to him. His response to God's goodness was not what it should have been. And sometimes ours is not what it should have been. So, dear people, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God and something else. We need to have that lazy streak that's in us. We need to have that crucified and get into the Bible. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Christian friend of mine, you need to be filled with the Word of God. And frequently people that get involved in the occult, there are people that don't read their Bible very much. They really don't know very much about it. That's how they got in. Because the Bible gives us plenty of warning. And they're just ignorant of this, it seems. All right. Get into the Bible. Be filled with God's Spirit. And of course, that's basically a matter of being empty of self and sin. I just read something beautiful that Spurgeon said about self. He said, My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God, that sharp sword, in my heart until He has slain every sin and every vestige of self until it's all dead by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer we all need to pray. That's post-deliverance ministry. And then we tell people, now don't think about the past. That's over and done. Now it's Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Sometimes people get looking back to these things. We're not to do that. Philippians chapter 3 tells us we're to forget the things that are behind. And we're to reach forth to the things that are before us. I want to keep her eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Colossians three eleven says, "Christ is all, and in all." Think of that. You are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Anything you lack, Jesus has. Anything you need, Christ will give it. If you give your life totally to Him. Then, as I close, then we're going to have an opportunity for questions. And if time has run out for you, feel perfectly free at any moment to get up and leave. It's perfectly all right. We won't feel badly or think you're under conviction or something. Maybe your time has run out. But we will have a time for questions and answers. I'll try to answer them if I can. But before we come to that, the Word of God indicates clearly, particularly in the book of Revelation, that there's going to be a rising incidence of demonic power and activity in the world prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we're going to turn to Revelation 9, then to Revelation 11, then to Revelation 16 and see what the Word of God has to say. First of all, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. And the rest of the men who were not killed by these plagues, yet did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils. And idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither did they repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. It sounds like today. Stealing, murdering, committing fornication, worshipping demons, guilty of sorcery. Then chapter 11, listen carefully to that. Verse 18, the nations were angry and thy wrath is come. It's the same word exactly in the Greek. So you have an angry world and an angry God and are on a collision course. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should give reward unto your servants, the prophets, and to, them, and to the saints. And then I fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them that destroy the earth. Chapter 16, verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons working miracles who go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So here we have demons preparing the nations of the world for that final Worldwide revolt and rebellion against God, an angry world and an angry God, and demons behind the angry world, working miracles, 18 places in the Bible where miracles were wrought by the power of Satan, not by the power of God. There are all kinds of occult healers. The Philippines is loaded with them. I've listened to the testimony, testimony of Canadians who've gone to these healers in the Philippines and they give their testimonies as to how they were healed from this, they were healed from that. And the thing is, as occult as anything can be. They would not allow Reverend Marcos. He calls himself Reverend Marcos. And he has a mission organization called World Mission. Sounds very kosher. But the Canadian Medical Association would not allow him to practice his healing art in Canada, but they couldn't stop him from showing his films. So we saw one of his films in Kamloops, British Columbia, several years ago. Now doctors have been there and they watch him. They say, frankly, they don't know how he does it. But he's doing it. Here's the person lying on the table and the flesh is exposed. And he comes and puts his fingers down like that until they touch the flesh. And the flesh opens up maybe this wide. And he puts both hands down inside up to this, the knuckles here. Holds them there for about the count of five. Pulls his fingers out. And hanging on his fingers are disease tissue, tumors, and tapeworms. And he goes over to a bowl and scrapes all this off in the bowl. And then he runs his hand over the incision and it heals up beautifully. There isn't even a line on the skin. Then he takes a sponge and he wipes off the blood. However, one of the doctors got a hold of one of those sponges. And they took it to a lab and they had the blood tested and it was pig's blood. It was not human blood at all. So, you see, you remember it talks about Antichrist in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Even him whose coming is after the power of Satan with all power and signs and what? Lying wonders. They are pseudo-miracles. They're not real. But they look real. There's an element of deception, whether it's through hypnosis, mass hypnosis, or hallucinations we don't really know. But it's this kind of thing that we're going to see more and more and more of in the world. And then I have a very happy verse in Psalm 102. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. You know what that tells me? That when God is blessing and building up the church, that's when he's going to return. So while Satan will be active, God will be active through his people. And we see that today. You might say, doesn't Zion refer to the nation of Israel? Not in that context, it doesn't. There is a spiritual Zion as well as a national or natural Zion. How do I know? Look at Hebrews chapter 12. He says, You are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them again. But they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, "I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are written in heaven and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to the blood of sprinkling it speaks better things than that of Abel. And there's just one thing I need to say now. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So, when the Lord shall build up His heavenly spiritual Zion, He'll appear in His glory. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're seeing all around the world an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And we Christians need to know what's going on. We need to pray against these powers who are trying to hold nations, and they're doing it, holding nations, sometimes entire tribes and nations, in total darkness. Because somehow we Christians have not realized the weapons that we have. No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Power over all the power of the enemy. Our prayer is that you have been blessed and encouraged by this sermon. To download full sermons, go to our website, www.sermonindex.com you can contact us through the website and please share a testimony of how this sermon has ministered to you.